Today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Again, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrea for reading the Word of God, and I'm excited to uh, begin this new series with you. If you uh, look up on the screen there, you can see that there is uh, a little bit of imagery. The series that we're going to go through is called um, Church on Fire. You can think of that in a couple different ways in the book of Acts. Uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, there's this moment where it says that the Holy Spirit came down upon the church and there were tongues of fire over the head of the people. So sometimes if you talk to someone, they say, man, that church is on fire. That's a good thing, all right? Um, There's another way to think of it, though, and that is that um, if you think of our culture today, there are ways in which that our, our culture today feels like it is out of control, and chaotic, literally cities being set on fire. And there's a way in which the secular rejection of the image of God has crept into the church so that some of the smoldering embers that are part of our culture have actually come into the church. That's the second way to think of it, okay? So the spirit and then secularism. And then the third one is to think of, um, I'll call it a a kind of sinister sanctifying by God. I'll show you what I mean in a second. But um, in chapter 3, Paul in 1 Corinthians says that sometimes God lights stuff on fire in order to see what's true, in order to cleanse it and purify it. And so part of the message of 1 Corinthians is, let's see what's, what will remain, actually, if God takes a match and puts it into the church to purify the church, what's still going to remain? So I know that's like imagery of God as arsonist somehow, 
But that's the imagery that Paul uses in chapter 3. So anyway, those three images, those three concepts are going to be kind of woven together. We want to be a church that is on fire with the Holy Spirit. Um, But the fires from the culture that are creeping in, we want to douse those and put those out. And we also want to begin purifying ourselves before God so that his power of purifying doesn't strike us with his judgment. Just really briefly, I want to just also add my thanks um, to what Billy said for Jonathan's friendship. I had three words I wanted to share. Jonathan is incredibly talented, and so is Loran. And they have uh, built a platform of musicians over the years. Um, Faithful is the other word I just wanted to say. Uh, Showing up week in, week out. Basically never complaining. And the third one I wanted to say is that just kind of gospel-saturated or cross-saturated, always wanting to elevate the, the life of Jesus and what he's done. Uh, you don't get the sense from Jonathan that he is doing what he's doing for accolades, but really because he loves Jesus. <clears throat> so I wanted to just say thank you to him, and we'll have this reception that is, uh, is to follow. What I want to do now is just introduce the, this series. Um, Sixteen years ago, in the early part of January 2006, Um, the city of New York sat up and took notice of Chicago, which doesn't often happen. And something was happening in Chicago that they thought was uh, worth noting. Quick trivia question. If I say Pilgrim Baptist Church, what is, anybody know what that's famous for in the city of Chicago? Yeah, this is dialogical. That's not a rhetorical question. Come on, somebody knows. Okay, thank you. Who said that? All right, thanks. John. Gospel, gospel music. So Pilgrim Baptist Church is the, the birthplace of gospel music. Thomas A. Dorsey um, was the music minister there for, I think it's six decades, for a really long time. Um, and in 2006, this is what it said in the New York Times. A raging blaze Friday afternoon quickly destroyed the 115-year-old Pilgrim Baptist Church, an architectural and cultural landmark in this city's Bronzeville neighborhood that's renowned as the historic home of gospel music. Um, There's a, it it, it mentions that it's an architectural and cultural landmark um, because of who designed it. Um, And it was like one of the last jewels in the city designed by this particular architect. But more importantly, it housed an actual community of people who used to worship. And so what it says in the New York Times says is that church members and neighbors and and neighborhood residents stood vigil for hours on blocks filled with black smoke, staring in shock at the charred hole where so much history had happened as preservationists throughout the city joined in mourning. And uh, if you think of it, Chicago is a city that is accustomed, or at least shaped by fires. 1871, our whole city basically burned down, and our city rebuilt itself. So our city is no stranger to the destructive power of flames. And yet flames can consume a legacy. There's a woman there on that day who was 
30 years old. She's got to be 46 now, and she recounted the legacy. Here's what she said. I grew up in this church. She was married in the church. She was baptized in the church. She had two kids that were five and seven. She wanted them to be baptized there. She said, my mother grew up in this church. My grandmother grew up in this church. She said, when that smoke clears, I don't know what we're going to see. I'm afraid what we're going to see. And then she says, no matter what, this will always be my church. And there are many ways in which I feel like the imagery there that I'm putting before you describes the cultural moment that we're in. In our culture at the moment, there are flames that seem like they are eating up institutions, friendships, families, flames that divide us and seem like they want to destroy us. Russell Moore put it this way. As you may know, Russell Moore was part of the Southern Baptist Convention and he resigned because of tensions over allegations of abuse and many other things. He said, we now see young evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church does not believe what it teaches. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a kind of crisis in our culture where the hypocrisy or the seeming hypocrisy of the church seems like it's actually destroying the church itself. So that some people are stepping back and looking at this charred hole that they think used to be the church. Put it differently, has the church in North America set, it on, set itself on fire unintentionally? Some people that are on the conservative side are standing in shock and wondering if all the institutions are going to be eaten up. Those on the progressive side are happy that things are burning down because it means that a new day of rebuilding can come. The preservationists among us are, are warning. But I'll ask what I already hinted at. What if God set the flame not to Pilgrim Baptist Church? But what if some of what's happening in our culture today, or actually, let me be more specific, not our culture. What if some of what's happening in the church today in North America is God burning up the chaff, the hay? I'm, here's my question for today that I want to ask. Will the flames of culture consume the health of the North American church? Will the flames of culture consume the health of the North American church? And I'm talking about the divisiveness of our culture, the strife and the immaturity of our, our country, the blazing sexual polymorphism of this moment that we're in right now. See, they sometimes say you can take the church out of Corinth, but you can't take Corinth out of the church. And what happened in Corinth is that the, the culture had invaded the church to the point where the church was absolutely indistinguishable from the culture. Will the flames of culture consume the health of the North American church, the drunken self-centeredness of our ethos, the celebrity orientation of our fixation, 
that has crept into the church and is what God is knocking over and toppling. The Me Too abuse of our society. Will the flames, those flames, consume the North American church? There was an interesting article in, in the NPR this week that said Americans are fleeing to places where political views match their own. It has, has a picture of the Wooten family, four of them, mom and dad, two kids from Indiana, and they're moving to Austin, Texas, because they want to be in a more liberal context than Indiana. But then the article goes on and talks about, a, on the other side, a private Facebook group of nearly 8,000 members called Conservatives Moving to Texas. And three of them, this shows a picture of three of them sitting together at a table in Texas. None of them are vaxxed, and they love it. One of them says, as soon as I drove into Texas, literally as soon as I could get into the state and stop at my first truck stop for gas, it was like, this is wonderful, says Lynn Seaton, 59-year-old from Orange County, California. People weren't wearing masks and nobody cared. She goes on and says, it was kind of like heaven on earth. Interesting definition of heaven. But it goes on, and the article, the NPR article goes on, it says America is growing more geographically polarized. Red zip codes are getting redder and blue zip codes are becoming bluer. Can the church have both godly people on both sides of the aisle inside of it? Or will the church be consumed by the flames of our polarized culture? There's a sense in which Chicago and Corinth are 2,000 years apart and one inch apart. <laughs> so when you go to Corinth, you find most of Chicago. And here's my argument for today is this, that when the challenged urban church needs to be reminded in the fire, they need to be reminded in the sense that everything's going to be okay, <laughs> that they've been called that they've been cleansed, that they've been graced and gifted, that they are the church of God, not the church of Billy Graham or John Dennis. Do you like how I said both our names together there? Yeah. Or Mark Driscoll is God's church. And if a narcissistic pastor forgets that, he will take them down. The flames of culture cannot consume what God creates, but God will burn through the impurity. Our text divides into two parts here. It's pretty simple. It's Paul's greeting, verses 1 to 3, and Paul's thanksgiving, verses 4 to 7. This is what's called a, an epistle. It's a letter. It's a letter from Paul to the Corinthians. It's also what's called a, a situational epistle. Or a, um, we'll go with situational. It's written to a specific situation. So the teaching to Corinth is applicable to the teaching to Chicago in part because of how timeless the principles are. What I want to do this morning is just give you... Uh, the bulk of my sermon is just four promises for the challenged urban church or the challenged urban church goer. I just want to give you four promises. It's going to be two from the first section and two from the second section. Before I do that, though, I want, I want you to understand a little bit more about Corinth, not, not its 
geography, but really what's going on in the church, because it will help you understand why Paul writes the things that he writes. It's a long introduction. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And you see how our streets have been burning during the last two years, burning with unrest. And some on the left seem to be saying, let it all burn. Let's build anew. And some on the right are staring at the gaping, charred hole and asking what is happening. Lord, in the midst of the chaos and in the midst of the challenges of our present culture, show us your promises which never change. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You could summarize everything I want to say today in this way, that the flames of culture cannot consume the fellowship of God's Son. If there's a subject to verses 1 to 9, it's the church. And if you look at, uh, if you look at both, both verses 1 to 3 as well as verses 4 to 9, you can see that the top and tail, so to speak, is verse 2, the church of God. And then look at this beautiful promise in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. So if I were to just preach that right to you right now, you have been called into the fellowship of his Son. And whether, whether nations rise or fall, the fellowship of the Son's going to remain. <laughs> now, maybe this has happened to you before you've had like a job performance review, where first they tell you all the good things that you've done, and then they're like, okay, here's some constructive criticism. If, if the epistle to the Corinthians was a job performance review, verses 1 to 9 are all the good stuff that they can think about, and then the rest of the book is like, yeah, but this and this and this, okay? So this is a church with lots of challenges and lots of problems. So I'm just going to give you a few of those, a few of those challenges. Uh, and the first one and Sully's going to preach on this next week, is they've adopted a celebrity culture in their church. You might think I'm making that up, but that's actually what is happening, and it's caused them to be divided, right? So Americans aren't the first people to develop a celebrity culture. In, the, in Corinth, there are these group of people called the Sophists who like, had really fancy hair, and they stood up, and they spoke, and people paid them a lot of money. And the Corinthians wanted Paul to be like that. They were embarrassed of him. As Paul stands up and he speaks about some rabbi on a tree who got crucified. Like, that's not so powerful, Paul. And then what's happening is some people are saying, hey, I follow Paul. This is verses, this is verse 12. I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas. In other words, in the same way in our culture, people are become divided and say, politically, I'm of this camp and I'm of this camp, and churches subscribe to it, or people on Twitter become an apostle, a follower of this person, and they reject this person. That's a celebrity culture, okay? I, I listen to everything this person says. I hate everything that person says. The, the Corinthian church had become so divided that it had lost sight of Christ, and the leaders, as I already said this, but who have fallen in North America, many have fallen in brazen pride. And God has lit a match and said, enough. Some of you have no idea what Mars Hill is, or another of you have been listening and asking, how is it 
that something could be used by God and then go up in flames. And God will cleanse his church. So Corinth was, had the celebrity culture in it. It was also really immature. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, I wish I could give you like solid food, but I have to keep bringing a bottle to you because you guys are still infants. So he's he's going to say the nice stuff in a second, but he's like, you guys are so immature. Someone texted me a couple days ago and said, do you know of a church in Miami? And I texted back a recommendation. But if you were to text Paul and say, hey, do you know any churches in Corinth? He would say, no. He would say, I, yeah, there's one church there. <laughs> I wouldn't go there. They're too immature. They're too divided. Here's how immature they were. When it was time for communion at the Lord's table, the people who got there first got drunk. For real. And then other people came. And these. Now, I know Sully has his problems, but I've never, ever seen him just downing all the communion wine by himself. That's what they were doing. Corinth, the church in Corinth was toxic. I know some of you are big fans of Maury Popovich. I'm just teasing, but I wandered into Valois a couple weeks ago, and the Maury Povich show was on, and it was all about, you know, drama in these families of infidelity. In Corinth, chapter 5, verse 1, somebody's sleeping with their stepmother. Okay, get it. But the church was proud about, about it, for real. They're like, see how liberated we are? That's the church in Corinth. So you see how much the, uh, um, how much the world has coming was coming into Corinth. In 1871, I already mentioned Chicago was burned to the ground, but something else was rebuilt and emerged. And I'm just gonna there's four promises that are embedded in these first few verses that I want to outline for you now because it's where the building begins. Okay, so verses one to three are Paul's greeting. And then four to nine are his thanksgiving. But there is, as Paul greets them, there's some repeated words that I just want to show you in verses one to three. You see, verse one says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then if you have that little journal, you can circle the word called there. Verse two, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. In other words, the imagery is this, is this church in Corinth didn't come about by chance, and the church in the world today didn't come about by chance, and we have been shaped in some ways by the secularism of our culture today to believe that things just come into being by chance. And yet Paul is saying, no, no, God reached down into history, picked me up, actually threw me down, blinded me, called me, said, you're going to go to the nations, you're going to go to all people groups, gave me an incredible message, and then sent me off. I didn't, he's saying, this isn't my own calling. And he's saying, you also, if you're part of the church, that's not because I preach something to you, that's the Spirit of God moving somehow in the world today to call you to something that's eternal and will outlast the chaos and the deconstruction of this world. 
He's saying you're called. In other words, my first promise is this, is that the church exists, the fellowship of Jesus exists because of God's calling. Again, it's not Tim Keller's church or Mark Driscoll's church or Paul's church. Do you see what he says? The church of God, verse 2. It's God's church. In fact, uh, Jonathan began with uh, mentioning Bishop Mason, who started the church. His denomination is the church of God in Christ. <laughs> Why? Because he wanted you to know this is not my church, it's God's church. What I'm saying is, yeah, it seems like everything's on fire in the culture around us, but God is building something that cannot be destroyed. Not only is Paul called, but the church is called, and it says called to be saints, that is called to be holy. Called to be saints with all who call on the name of the Lord. If you're not a Christian today, you need to call on the name of the Lord. If you're a compromised Christian today, you need to call upon the name of the Lord. And it's saying as you call on him, he's calling on you. He's calling you. Pick it up. Pick up the phone and answer and say, I'm here. And now I'm calling on you. We live in a culture that believes the earth came into being by a chance, that you're a product of chance. No, God has called you. What's the calling that he has for your life? You're called for a purpose. So see through the rubble of the moment that we're in. And discern what the purpose of God is for your life. That's promise number one is that God created the church. He's a creator. Not only is God, this is a second promise, not only has God created the church, he's cleansed the church. Look at verse 2. The word sanctified there means to set aside as holy. In other words, part of what it means when you are called by Jesus is that he says, I am going to wash you clean. Every sin that you have committed was crucified with the Son of God upon the cross and buried in the ground, and it was left in the ground when he rose from the dead. In other words, you're clean. You're cleansed. Sanctified means to be set aside for a higher purpose, for a holy purpose. Yes, God has called you, but he wanted to clean you up before he sent you out. So Paul is saying, look, church that is so struggling with immaturity and sexual perversity, please know that he called you and that he wants you to be clean and cleansed, to be set aside, to be holy in the world today, that the Passover lamb was slain. The church exists because God called it into existence, but the church is functional because God has cleansed it from sin. And those of us who try to be used by God and dance with sin will be judged by the fire of God, even if you're saved. Meaning, even if you will be saved, that's what chapter 3 says. That there's a certain thing that you can do with your life. The foundation is Jesus, and you can put wood and jewels and hay and stubble on it. And you can fool me, and I can fool you. But in the end, only what Christ has built in your life will last. So, 
If you want to be used by God, let him cleanse you from sin. And purity is painful. Pruning is painful. Let him cut it off. We got this flower. What kind of flower is it, Amy? We have an amaryllis that, um, thank you to um, Rich and Laura, who have given us one every year for like 10 years. And it, what, what an amaryllis does is it begins to sprout. It always goes towards the light. So sometimes I wake up in the morning and it's like leaning for the light. Today I came in and there were two sprouts on it. And one was lying down like it was so tired. It had all the flowers on it. And then there's this other little tiny bud that was coming up. And in reality, what's happening is that, that the long one is stealing all of the energy from the new bud and it needs to be cut off. And sometimes God comes into the church and he says, I'm going to hack this part off. That's, that's the pain of pruning and purity. So, number one, the church exists because God's called it into existence. The church is functional because God has cleansed it from sin. Here's, here's uh, promise number three, and it moves into the thanksgiving. Now, think of this. Paul, I just told you that Paul is speaking to a church that's proud of sexual immorality, that's super immature, that um, is divided, quarrelsome, following the celebrity pastor. And then he says, I give thanks to my God always for you. Something's wrong with Paul in verse 4. Like what's, what he's doing is he's seeing through the corruption, through the cleansing that needs to be done, and he still can see that God is at work, even in a church on fire. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ. The, the grace of God is the completely undeserved love and kindness that he has shown to us. That when you were running away, he kept calling you back. That when you rebel against him and when your heart is hard against him and you don't deserve him to keep calling you back, he keeps saying, oh, it's you again. I still forgive you. Even when you're condemning yourself and you're saying, I don't deserve your grace, God. He says, oh, it's you again. Don't you realize I came into the world to save sinners? That's who he came for. If you're a sinner, you qualify. He has grace upon 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 grace. Upon grace upon grace upon grace. Upon grace upon grace. I could do this for a long time. Because his grace is infinite, and your sins are finite. I won't keep doing it and keep saying that. I'll move on, okay? There's nothing you can do to deserve the grace of God, the love of God. You're called, you're sanctified or cleansed, but you're also graced. You're also given grace. Totally undeserved. If you think of it from God's per the perspective of who God is, God's creator, therefore he calls you. God is holy, therefore he cleanses you. God is forgiving, 
Therefore, he gives you grace. That's who God is. And the last one is God's rich and full of talents and gifts. Verse 9, 5 to 9 says, You were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony, testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. The church at Corinth was an extraordinarily gifted church. They were lacking in character. They weren't lacking in gifts. And that's part of what's the problem with the celebrity culture is that celebrity culture values gifts so much that the giftedness outruns the character. But Paul is thankful, even in the midst of all this chaos, because the church is gifted. And listen to what he says in verse 7. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words... If God has called you and you've called on his name, you're going to make it to the end. You'll be guilty before you get there, but when you get there, he will say, guiltless. Guilty no more. Why? Verse 9, because God is faithful. Because it doesn't really depend upon you. Because it really depends, your salvation it depends entirely on him. Should you call upon him? Yes. The same way that somebody who's drowning should say, ah, save me. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of Jesus, his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The fellowship of his son is not going anywhere. I'm glad we got a building, but we don't even need a building. Yeah, we do. But you know what I'm saying. Like the church can exist without a building. And when Pilgrim Baptist burned down, the church building burned down, but God's people didn't burn down. Why? Because you're called into the fellowship of his son. If you're not a Christian today, if somebody dragged you here, I just want to say God is calling you. And he's cleansing you. He wants to cleanse you. And he can gift you and he can grace you. And if you're a compromised Christian here today, I just want to remind you that he did call you. That he can cleanse you again. And that he has gifted you. And he's given you his grace. Al Bracey was 67 when Pilgrim Baptist burned down. And I just want you to hear his words of resolution. He says, they can wipe out the church. He was watching it when it happened. He got interviewed, and here's what he said, 67 years old. He had attended Sunday services there, it says sporadically, since 1938. I don't know if that meant he went twice since 1938 or what, but, but here's what he said. They can wipe out the church, but they can't wipe out my history. They can wipe out the church, but they cannot kill the spirit. In other words, the church of God is the cleansed and called and graced and gifted people of God that will outlast the rubble of the universe. The flames of culture can consume a building, but they can't consume the fellowship of the sun because he already beat death. 
flames of culture can consume a building, but they cannot consume those who have been called and cleansed and graced and gifted. I'm looking forward to uh, working through, I was going to say Ephesians, sorry, 1 Corinthians with you. Because I think we do face devastating cultural challenges all around us. But when you start reading 1 Corinthians, you're like, oh yeah, so did they. And it gives you hope. So all I want to ask you to do this, this week, my simple challenge to you is just to trust in God's gifting of you. Trust in God's grace to you. Trust in his calling of you. Trust in his cleansing of you. Rather than what you can do, Paul is saying, look at what God has done for you. Oh, church, you are gifted. Oh, church, you are graced. Oh, church, you've been cleansed. Oh, church, you've been called to a purpose. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, that he has called us and cleansed us. That forgiveness was built into your character, oh God. That you know we struggle with feeling worthless, that we struggle with falling down week after week after week. Oh Lord, we pray that you would embed in our hearts and in our minds these words that you will sustain us to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. Pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.